Welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged, the podcast in which we take a look at what is making headlines in the world of NHS IT. I'm your host, Andrea Downey, and I'm senior reporter here at Digital Health. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged. It is no surprise by now that I am your host, Andrea Downey, and today we're going to be taking a look at tech from a completely new angle. I have two amazing guests joining me today who are both working in digital roles in the NHS and have also formed a mentorship slash friendship when they found out they both had dyslexia and were using technology to make their day-to-day jobs a little easier. From speaking to them, though, it definitely feels like it's more of a friendship and just a support for each other when they need it. I'm not going to go into too much detail before I introduce them because I think hearing their first-hand experiences is much, much more important. But what I am going to say is that I hope this podcast challenges you to rethink the way you use technology or the way you use it within your own teams and just reminds you that it's not always about big pie-in-the-sky ideas. Sometimes a simple digital tool can make all the difference to how people and teams work. So on that note, I'm really pleased to introduce Dion Rogers, who is the CNIO at Kettering General Hospital NHS Foundation Trust and also a member of Digital Health CNIO Network and Holly Carr, who is a nurse at Sheffield Children's Hospital and a Florence Nightingale Fellow at NHSX. Welcome to the podcast, Dion and Holly. I'm so glad you're here. How are you both doing? Very, very well. Thank you. Very excited to be talking about uh, such an important topic, I think, to the both of us. I'm really excited to share those experiences. Yeah, absolutely, Holly. Completely second that. We've been talking about um, this for some time now and, and, and talking about how we share our experience on a platform so um, when you got in touch Andrea it was the absolute right opportunity for us so thank you. Oh you're so welcome I'm so excited you're both here I'm like I think this is going to be a really great episode so we'll dive straight in because we've got a lot that I want to cover. I did briefly mention that you both have dyslexia and have formed a mentorship to support each other and that technology has formed a big part of that but I think you're both going to be able to tell me more about that in a much better way. So let's start from the beginning. How did you both meet and how have you been working together? So um, we both um, work in organisations that have the same EPR supplier and um, the clinical adoption specialist at that supplier um, was working with Holly. Um, And Holly being new to digital health, um, this person felt that Holly would benefit from someone with a little more experience. So um, actually asked me if I would reach out to Holly to provide some mentorship um, coaching to Holly, which was several months ago now. And that's how we met, really. Started a a mentor-mentee relationship. And, um, you know, Holly has just gone from strength to strength. Well, I did a Florence Nightingale uh, conference last year, and there was a great speaker who said, look out for the digital bright spots. and Holly's definitely one of the brightest spots out there at the moment. So I was thrilled to mentor Holly. Um, that has continued in a sort of more informal way now. Um, but as you say, much more of a friendship and supportive relationship now. Holly, what are your thoughts on how we met? Was there anything you wanted to say? Yeah, no, I would completely agree. And it's it's been a very interesting transition, I'd say, as well, because initially I, I'm relatively new to the nursing profession, but was exceptionally new to the digital landscape and also leadership at that sort of strategic level. And when I first um, met with Dion, I think I was kind of very nervous, didn't really 
Now, I was doing this was also one of the first official kind of mentorship um, partnerships that I'd been part of. Uh, and actually, I think the the transition that we've had as you've really helped to kind of grow and develop my confidence and then both realizing that we had some of these um, kind of additional challenges in our day-to-day life and being able to soundboard has really sort of busts up that platonic level I'd say and, and really strengthen both our friendship but also the mentorship and support particularly that we can give to each other as well around this subject. Absolutely. Yeah see much better words than I could have ever used um and definitely comes across so much more of a friendship and just like a really nice support which is great and I think obviously in the last 18 months really needed because it's been a tough time um so I wanted to talk about your experience of working in the NHS with um a form of neurodiversity now Dion if you don't mind I'd like to start with you because I know that your diagnosis came a little bit later in your career and in the conversations we had before recording this episode you did mention that the positive impact that that's had on you so I wanted to talk about your experience of working in the NHS before and after your diagnosis and how they differ um is that something you can expand a little bit on absolutely yeah so I was diagnosed with um dyslexia and dyspraxia around six months ago so very very new diagnosis for me um I suppose growing up if I look back and this is a common theme um that I've read about in in school reports I was always Dion tries hard but must try harder you know handwriting spelling etc and I just always felt that I was a really hard worker and I really tried but never quite hit the mark and was never recognized as being somebody had had a lot to offer um but luckily I had I had great parents who encouraged me and a positive attitude and you know I've managed to succeed in the NHS despite these challenges but it's always been there in the background and reflecting on Um, my new diagnosis I've looked at sort of the roles that I've taken and obviously I'm a nurse first and foremost but then I went into sort of managerial and ops roles Um, and looking back very little report writing in those roles Um, I've avoided education for the last 10 years because it concerned me so much Um, and and Things like writing reports, I I really struggled um, if I didn't have a quiet space, if I didn't have thinking time. And I just thought, you know, it was a weakness of mine, a SWOT analysis. It was one of my weaknesses. Um, But since the Florence Nightingale Scholarship and um, discovering my dyslexia, um, I've completely feel differently. And particularly in the digital role that I'm in now, um, it, it actually feels like I'm a totally different person um, and that I can accept the things that I need support with and actually embrace the positives that neurodiversity brings Um, and the main impact is my confidence so I'm about to write um, an article for the Nursing Times I'm going to publish an article um, on my latest project which I would have never have considered doing before I just completely avoided the subject of writing. Um, and one day I'd actually like to write a book. It's it's starting to make me think about, I've read recently that Agatha Christie was dyslexic, so she can do it, I can do it. So <laughs> that whole confidence boost, I think, has really enabled me to excel in my current role and actually support neuroinclusion in, in my workplace and in the wider digital health community. Mm. It sounds like it's just, 
it's explained the way you work to yourself a little bit better so that you can make sure that you're set up in a way that just suits you, which is so important. Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned education because I think it's very important you tell everyone how much work you are doing because I believe you're currently doing a master's. Yeah, so I'm, I'm working full time. I'm just finishing my Florence Nightingale scholarship and um, I'm halfway through studying um an MSc in healthcare analytics and artificial intelligence at Sheffield Hallam. Um, and, and having completed four modules this year already, plus working full time, I, I can't believe I've actually done it, um, you know, and managed to fit it all in and getting some quite decent scores for once. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. It's, it's busy, but um, kind of once you're in, you have to go all in, in my opinion. And, um, you know, during the pandemic, certainly I've had a lot more time and it was kind of, this is time now to try and do something to support my, my ambitions, really. So, um, yeah, very busy. Yeah, very busy sounds like an understatement in all honesty. <laughs> I don't know how you're keeping up with that. I find a full-time job tiring. So I'm very, very impressed. Um, but Holly, I, I did want to bring you in here because I think your experience of the NHS might have been slightly different um, because you already had your diagnosis. So I wanted to hear more from you about what it was like joining the NHS and whether or not you thought the organisations were well prepared to support people with forms of neurodiversity. How was your experience of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just as you said, my diagnosis came a little earlier from, uh, than Dion's did, but actually was still when I was 18 years old. Um, so I'd almost had it, the, Dion kind of talked about a confidence boost. I'd almost had the reverse um, during my diagnosis initially. I'd done fantastically well during my GCSEs um, and kind of got the top grades across the board for that. And then started my A-levels, which actually require the application of knowledge rather than the regurgitation so the ask was slightly different and um, suddenly found myself struggling um, significantly which for me was a, a very challenging time because a lot of people surrounding me thought actually is this you know because of external factors that am I just not working as hard and I found that I'd, I kind of got into a cycle where I'd be working for hours and hours and things just didn't seem to be clicking things just weren't sinking in um, so when my diagnosis actually came I'd gone through a very tricky couple of years and managed to get um, reasonable adjustments for my last ever exam which happened to be a, a drawing uh, exam for technology so it didn't quite help help as, as much as it could have done in the maths or biology exams that I uh, sat earlier that month. Um, but actually, for me, when I initially came into the NHS and nursing, I found that I was lacking some of that confidence. And I think, it, you know, there's recently been more of a discussion, I think, and more of an acceptance of the benefits of having neurodiverse challenges, but at the time still had some stigma attached. So I was always found myself being quite nervous to to sort of tell people or to let people know that I may need some additional adjustments in the workplace because I was worried about how that would be perceived and if it would change um, people's view on what my capabilities were in that role. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Um, and I was on an extremely uh, supportive ward and clinical area with um, with a senior team who were very, very supportive of that and very quickly sort of learned to develop processes internally that would help me manage that. Um, I think my, my next set of challenges came as I transitioned more from a frontline clinician role where over a period of around sort of seven to eight years, I'd become a, a bit of an expert in a certain field. So you'll know for nursing that we often specialise in medicine or surgery or orthopaedics, for example, um, which is my specialty. 
and having to transition out of that familiar environment again where I'd built up these processes to make my life easier into more of a corporate office-based role, um, which required a bit of a reset of the switch again and pulled on some neuro strings of, uh, of building new pathways that I'd not had to do for a while. Um, so linking kind of back to to what Dion said initially, this, this mentorship for me has really, really helped to build on that. Um, and I do think that now that there's a wider discussion, organisations, and um, particularly the NHS, are looking out more for ways in which they can help people who have neurodiverse challenges. So I personally have found it more supportive, and that's definitely helped to build my confidence more as well. Yeah, and that's good to hear. Um, so let's talk about the technology now, because obviously we can't be on a digital health podcast without talking about the technology. How are you both using technology and digital tools to sort of make your day-to-day jobs a little bit easier or just support yourselves? Um, Dion, I know that you did mention a couple of specific technologies in our meetings before the podcast, so I might throw that one over to you first. Yeah, so um, I've spoken about technology sort of levelling up as well before, Andrea, and I guess some of the stuff that has really helped me with my master's is... Um, I now have the full version of Office 365, which is absolutely brilliant. Um, So when I'm um, either writing assignments or it allows me to talk assignments, which is really important because I get very fatigued if I'm reading a lot or writing a lot. So I'm able to um, speak my assignments, um, which enables me to have a better flow in my writing than it does if I type things. Sometimes I type them, sometimes I I um, speak them. Um, there's also a great editor button now on, on Office 365 Word, which allows me to check my spelling, grammar and conciseness. So I tend to put a lot of filler words in um, and really helps me to bring my word count down um, at the end. But obviously Office 365 is something that has been really great in my working life. Um, I love the calendar. Um, it's got some great new features on it, such as scheduling. So not the nightmare of trying to find when everyone's free and, and things like that is is really great. Um, but the obvious obvious other one is is Teams. I mean, just working on Teams and being able to, to connect with lots more people um, is um, and enables me to work from home, which gives me a quiet space to think. Um, on certain days of the week, it has been great. But there's so much stuff out there now. And I think it's it's looking and recognising if you do struggle with things, have a look what's out there, reach out, speak to people, have a look on YouTube. Um, neurodiversity is, is sort of coming up now in, in everyone's sort of uh, awareness and thoughts. And there's some great stuff out there that can help. And you know, my main advice is don't don't be embarrassed to, to recognise that you might need a different support. Um, and and certainly those things have really, really helped me to become organised. And um, anyone who knows me or has been mentored by me will know my first top tip ever is colour code your calendar. Um, really, really helps me. I think that was the first thing I said to Holly. I've, I remember that conversation <laughs> and that life-changing moment. Yeah. <laughs> Just because that allows me to visualise my workload and um, the amount of value that I, I add to projects um, and manage my time much better. Um, and, and that's something that I readily pass on. So using technology to really help organisation, because that's something that people with neurodiversity can really struggle with. 
Yeah, it's just the support, isn't it? And just it's just like making slot like you know little tasks just a little bit easier, so it's less daunting. Um, and I do like the color coordinator calendar tip. I think that's something I'm going to be taking away from this because my calendar is mad at the best of times. Um, Holly, how about you? How are you using tech? Yeah, so I completely agree with Dion in the sense that technology has really been the the sort of bridge in the accessibility gap, I think, which comes from having neurodiverse challenges. And some people may be listening to this podcast who also have dyslexia and dyspraxia and may experience things slightly differently. So I think there is so much technology out there now that there really is something for everyone. Um, And I specifically, Dion mentioned the leveling up um, term. I like to use technology for those areas where I particularly struggle. So my sort of particular challenges are around processing, organization as well and this is really just a way for me to help to manage that a bit better. One of the fantastic things that Dion introduced me to as well was um, a Trello um, which is kind of a desktop app and the great thing is is that the teams I work with um, now use Trello and that's a way for us to all pull pull our information from all of our work streams into the same snapshot. And so actually part of my processing heavily relies on knowing all of the information or having a glance of the bigger picture. I need to be able to see where the work that I am producing fits in um, in order to make those high level links. And I think that's really been a key for me, particularly as someone who is um, new, who's been into a, introduced sorry, to a team or to a work stream. It's really been fantastic to be able to have that overview and to also have that capture as we're having conversations to make sure that all of us are are aware of the tasks that we're working on where our work streams fit and where we can support as well Hmm. Um, and I'm really glad you both mentioned the phrase leveling up through technology because that was my next question Um, I think that's a really really great phrase Um, so I would like to expand a little bit more on that like what does leveling up through technology mean to you Um, Dion I'll start with you and then we'll move on to Holly um, so levelling that means to me is that it enables me to work to my strengths, but um, support my area, areas of difficulty. I think Holly sort of said that really well. Um, so traditionally, you know, management styles through through the years and appraisals have, have um, worked off the basis of SWOT analysis. And um, I've got a really great boss who doesn't really believe in SWOT analysis in the sense that you should be working constantly to improve your weak areas. Um, he talked to me about improving my strengths, which is certainly what I've worked on, but actually recognising weaknesses as areas of development and not necessarily to work harder to develop, because if you can't do it, you can't do it. If your brain doesn't allow you to do those things, they won't ever allow you. What I've found is recognising those areas of difficulty that actually in 99% of the cases, there is a technology um, application that can support me to work in the same way that everyone else does. So it's no longer, it doesn't feel any longer a problem and it feels like it's completely putting me in the same place that those other people that can spell correctly and and, um, read endlessly without getting tired and organise themselves really well um, can do uh, and I don't feel that they're areas of weakness for me anymore so that's how I feel that I've leveled up really through the diagnosis and through using those technologies on a, on a daily basis. 
Yeah, I think it really is about optimizing the capabilities that each of us have and making sure really that every every person has the the opportunity to be the best version of themselves. And the leveling up really is, it is about that equal footing and playing field. And someone who potentially doesn't have neurodiverse challenges is able to really excel and push forward into their strengths. But those of us who do, a lot of energy and time is spent on trying to pull along those bits at the at the end. I, I always think of it, you know, as a bit of a weight sometimes. I'm trying to make advancements, but I'm really pulling this thing behind me. And using technology to level up it's really about just giving us all a chance to to be the best that we can possibly be. And I think particularly working in, in the tech field, it allows more for those exciting, innovative elements, because actually this is all about looking and moving forward at a very fast pace and doing everything we can to support that using technology really is creating a more sustainable model really for the future. Hmm. Um, and Holly, something you actually mentioned in uh, our meetings again before we recorded, which really, really struck me and has sort of sat with me since we spoke, um, was the benefits and the positives and like, you know, the brilliant ideas that people with neurodiversity challenges can bring to teams, especially digital teams. So can we chat a little bit more about that? And, you know, just the, just the incredible ideas that you, you have, have brought to it. I think you described it as fireworks going off in your head, which was a really great way to explain it because it just it made me understand it a lot more. So let's touch on that for a bit. Yeah, of course. I think, firstly, when we talk about digitise and digital, we're not talking here about replicating the current processes we have. And I think that really is the crux of digital health and digitization. We're not just trying to, to do the same thing we've always done in a digital way. This is about transformation and about having to look forward and be inspired and being able to imagine the impossible or imagining things that haven't taken place yet. And I think the real strength that comes with neurodiversity is an incredible um, kind of lateral thinking view or a lateral view of things and it really is as I mentioned in our pre-chat it's almost as if fireworks go off and so whilst that can sometimes have certain challenges I'm sure you can imagine if you stood there on bonfire night it's quite hard to take in all 20 fireworks at the same time when they have the big bang and sometimes that is slightly challenging but actually in digital health this is all about the innovation and it is everyone trying to, to move forward and to do something exciting and to make care safer for our patients, to make it better for our nursing staff and the, the wider profession. And actually having a member of the team who thinks completely outside the box and completely creatively, whilst maybe not always kind of falls within the exact thing that's being asked at that time, really helps, I think, to push forward and also brings a new energy to the team as well um, and challenges the way that people uh, think. Yeah, and I think at the risk of causing some offence to some technology suppliers, (laughs) sometimes out-of-the-box thinking is really needed in this area. You know, there's. I think we can all agree that there's been certain programmes that have done the same thing for years and maybe, you know, that out-of-the-box thinking will create a change that is actually really needed in the NHS um Dion did you want to have did you want anything to add on to that one um no not really I, I think I I people say that I brain dump on them so <laughs> um I will often you know like Holly says I just go off at a tangent and have all of these ideas and I can't possibly repeat them it's a moment in time <laughs> um and, and I find working with people who can really extract my thoughts put them down as I'm speaking on paper, we really get some very creative ideas out. Um, Jacqueline, who I mentioned, who who put me and Holly together, 
is a great person for me to brain dump with. We we often have a meeting and um, we come up with some great ideas. Um, and it's literally me doing this whole thinking and brain dumping. Um, and she extracts some of the stuff that I've said out of it. And that's become a really great way for me to work and to innovate. Um, one of the things that people say that I do is be able to offer very practical solutions to problems. And I think that's because I have to come up with the practical solutions for myself. And that can translate to a lot of other people. You know, a lot of people think that you've got to know everything and, and be at a very high level of thinking constantly. And actually, what transformation needs is leaders that can apply things into practice in simple terms. And I think my neurodiversity really allows me to understand that um, and, and translate that for others. Um, so, so I think that's that's how it presents in me. Not quite fireworks, more more brain dumping ideas, but <laughs> the same kind of concept. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you mentioned leadership because that leads me on to the final thing that I'd really like to focus on in this episode. And that is how NHS organisations and also suppliers um, can help support their staff if they do have dyslexia or other forms of neurodiversity. Um, so I guess the best place to start on this one is what advice do you have for organisations on supporting their staff? Yeah, I think that that a really big part of that is being open and being dynamic in the way in which we work and that's that's cascaded at all levels so I think one of the big challenges we've all faced during COVID um, as Deanna alluded to earlier is we're all now remotely working or in a lot of organizations there's that remote working and I think um, we've seen a vast change and there's a lot of feedback to say that's really productive for people I certainly enjoy having a quiet space to be able to concentrate but I do also find that um, before you know it your diary's kind of full with back-to-back -back calls and I think part of it is it's not really kind of been driven by the organizations but ourselves those of us who work within organizations is sort of we've allowed that to to almost um I don't know, build, cascade. Uh, and I think that, that it's recognizing that it's okay to work differently. It's okay to say, actually, I just need I just need five minutes in the diary now. Um, and also that's something that can be then sort of uh, cascaded from the top, you know, having uh, in the organization, I mean, now they have a great policy where they're putting an hour at lunchtime and that's blocked within everyone's calendar to ensure that everyone gets a bit of brain downtime within the day. And I think it's very small things like that, which means that people who have neurodiverse challenges don't necessarily have to kind of talk about that or have to share them because there are some of those practices already really built in um, and those expectations laid out for everyone. Uh, and if people think actually, you know, sometimes for me, if I get on a roll with something, it really helps me to sit there for kind of four hours and to get it down. But actually knowing that there's not that expectation there is really beneficial for me. And I think as well, really encourage is that open honest conversation about how each of us work and what we need as well yeah I've really been thinking about this Sandra since our last chat and I think um you know leaders need to really champion the diversity and embrace positives um you know as we've said before you know this is a real gift you know to be able to innovate and particularly in a digital health role is, is an exceptional skill to have on your team. So almost, you know, look out for people that are neurodiverse and, and have people in your team because it will um, enable your team to grow and innovate, I believe, at a much um, faster pace. 
some practical things that I would suggest is um, consider learning styles and working environments. So this whole opportunity for us to look at working from home versus hybrid styles is an opportunity for us to support not just people in neurodiversity, as Holly has said, but many people will appreciate because of their work-life balance or or children, you know, women in the workplace in particular. Um, it really gives us an opportunity to see um, and, and not do things because we've just done them like that forever. Um, culture, really, um, deadlines, reading time. You know, the NHS has a real tendency to say everything needed to be done yesterday. Don't really believe that that always gets the best results. Um, so consider, you know, actually proper time to think, prep, and consider, you know, what is the point of rushing that deadline? Does it add the value, etc.? Providing the right software, so the accessible tools, I think is is really key. And as Holly said, it shouldn't be something that people neurodiversity necessarily have to ask for. It should be available to everybody. Um, because I believe there's a lot of people out there who may have neurodiversity that will never get the opportunity to actually be formally diagnosed. Um, and be aware and open to neurodiversity. So educate yourself on it. Uh, and even start to think about some educational programmes for digital leaders or leaders within the NHS to make sure that leaders understand the challenges that people with neurodiversity face, but also the things that you can, you know, play to their strengths and, and really get a great team member out of. I think I think they're the major things for me, those practical ideas. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned software and technology because that was my next question is sort of, how can managers and leaders um, use technology and software to support their staff who may have neurodiversity challenges? Um, Zion, you did mention earlier that Office 365 is great and you're able to speak what you're writing, which is really helpful. Is that something that can then translate, you know, through when you're working in the NHS or even on the ward to like actually speak the notes you have to write? It's, it's a fantastic point, very pertinent. I was speaking to my new director of nursing this morning um, and one of the things that, that we are looking at and, and challenging some of our suppliers around is, is accessible technology. Um, and, and I think that if we could do speech to text nursing records, um, may not work in every area or for every person, but actually having that ability to record your notes in different ways, I think would be a game changer for nursing record. Um, keeping actually and certainly when I speak to nurses about it they're like wow that would really help so my challenge to suppliers is to think about innovating in different ways and as much accessibility tools as possible for both staff and patients. Yeah I think that's an excellent challenge and I hope they hear it and rise to the occasion. Holly did you have anything you wanted to add to that? I think that's summarised it perfectly, Dion. And it, it really, I think one thing to mention is with this accessibility, it's also about enabling the use of that to the best of its ability. So if you've got a team member who is using it, also ensuring that the team in that area are supportive of that in the sense that if it is a Trello, for example, that other team members are inputting into there. If it's about looking at managing diaries, that other people are also noting that and are respectful of that as well. So there is... It's also about enabling, I think, the use of technology to be the bridge in that accessibility gap. And particularly for, for leaders in the area or those managing a team, organisations and suppliers, 
it is about recognizing those needs and not simply giving a piece of technology, but also enabling the use of that and looking at how that can then be built into the processes that occur within that team. Yeah, which I think is a very important message to take through the NHS anyway. Like, it's I don't think it's any secret that you can't just put a piece of technology into a trust or an organization and expect it to work for everyone. So I think very important messages for everyone to be taking home. Um, so lastly, to wrap up the podcast, I do have one um, nice piece of advice to ask you. Um, I would like to ask your advice for other people who have forms of neurodiversity and how they can follow a career in the NHS if that's what they're wanting to do. So... I think any any nurse or, or indeed clinician that wants a career in digital, um, regardless of neurodiversity or not, should go for it. This is this is the age of digital and um, there's so many learning and development opportunities. And, you know, really for me, thinking about new nurses coming into this field, you know, I really, really champion um, new um of the new generation of nurses coming in because they're the future of digital um, nursing really and we need to have a voice we need to encourage those nurses to come into it and it's a fantastic career and a lot of time people worry around about coming away from the clinical practice but I can assure you digital nurses help patients every single day to uh, you know a great a great ends because what we're doing is really enabling frontline staff to work in a much better, more efficient and patient-centred way. We talk about patient-centred, but actually as the NHS, we, we haven't been given the technology or the communication tools to really do that, but we can do that now with technology. So don't be scared to come out of clinical practice. You can still put your hand into that, but actually you will use your nursing skills every single day to enhance um, nursing practice so it's a great career I'd absolutely encourage anyone to have have a look at it um, and I'm going to do a plug for Florence Nightingale because they do have an early careers program now for, for nurses who it's a three-day event that would like the opportunity to maybe dip their toe rather than fully commit into digital nursing because I think once you're in it you, you, you get grit um, but um yeah, so there are some really great emerging courses and short courses out there to, to dip your toe if it's something that you think you might be interested in. And, and reach out to one of us. You know, there's a whole digital health network that are really happy to mentor people, support people, have a chat. Um, and, and we're a great community to, to work with. So that would be my advice. Yeah, to really build on those fantastic points that, that Dion made, I you know, digital is the future of health and digital nursing is the future of nursing as a profession. And the opportunity to come in at this exciting stage when actually we're taking the time to examine what this means for us um, as nurses or what this means for AHPs and for clinicians and being able to to mould that and to be in a position where you can contribute to the development of that. I think there isn't a more exciting time really to be involved. And I think from, from a neurodiverse point of view, particularly, this is about recognizing the hidden superpowers that we have. And whilst there may be some elements where you think, you know, oh, that's, I'm not going to be any good at that, or, you know, I don't think in that way. Actually, the reason that digital has been so successful to this point and the reason why it's continuing to grow at such a pace is because there are massively dynamic teams from different clinical backgrounds with different neurodiverse um, 
sort of challenges and also massive benefits as well that are associated with that and I think it's having the confidence to recognize the the special capabilities and the unique capabilities that you would be able to bring to a team Um, and I think this is really uh, you know it's really a sector at the moment which is embracing that and recognizing that there are massive advantages to having people with um, with a neurodiverse scope within their team so I don't think that there's a more exciting time um, or a more op time to to dip your toe in the pond, as Dion said, and, and to join. But this is also talking again about this being the future of healthcare. This is a culture shift that we're trying to get on board as well. So if digital is not for you as a fully fledged career, actually anything that you want to do to contribute to that or any interest you have, there is room for you and there is a space for you as well in the digital agenda. So I think it's just really taking up opportunities, exploring those curiosities that you might have and really making the most of this fantastic time to be in the profession. All excellent advice. It's making me want to switch careers, I'm not going to lie. (laughs) Um, And I'm really hoping that everyone who's listened to this takes that away. And if you were thinking about it, dip your toe in it because it is an exciting time to be in digital health um and it's a really there's some fascinating things going on and i think it would be i think it sounds like a really great place to be involved in um not biased or anything <laughs> but sadly that is all we have time for on the podcast so dion and holly thank you so much for joining me on digital health unplugged i've really really enjoyed this discussion and i'm so pleased that you wanted to share it with me and our audience um it's been great And of course, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget that Digital Health Unplugged is published fortnightly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and the usual podcast channels. So you can give us a follow on any of those to keep up to date with what we're doing. And if you've got a podcast suggestion, we are really keen to hear from you. You can get in touch on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you in two weeks time. You've been listening to Digital Health Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more episodes or to keep up to date with what Digital Health Unplugged is doing, you can give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast channel. If you want to know more about Digital Health, our news and events, you can head on over to digitalhealth.net.